Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church-strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. This year's conference features keynote speakers Fred Luter, Michael Catt, Todd Bolsinger, and Robbie Gallaty, as well as online and in-person regional events. Learn more at www.thesparkconference.com. We also have learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Don't forget you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast or podcast. Hey friends, we're glad you are with us today. I'm Ray Sullivan, uh, Discipleship Consultant down in the South Regions of Georgia with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and um, just super excited uh, to be with you today. The topic that we're going to talk about today, uh, you want to be a part of. I'm just going to tell you this, this is a conversation for you. A lot of times we're talking about things that you can do to help your people, and of course, uh, that's in play here, but what we're going to talk about today is something I think is so beneficial uh, to you uh, and to your ministry as a disciple and as a disciple maker. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as we go through this conversation today, just want to remind you, uh, you can um, get in the chat there if you're on Facebook Live. Uh, let us know where you're, um, where you're watching from. Uh, and any questions you may have, we'll be glad to interact with you if you're watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast or anything like that. Uh, hit that like and subscribe button and uh, let us know uh, that you're with us today and uh, keep up with all the different broadcasts that we have coming uh, each and every week for you. But I'm excited today. I've got uh, a good friend of mine, a new friend of mine, uh, Drew Yoon, uh, with me today. And Drew is uh, the, um, I think, Drew, you are the lead pastor at uh, Hope Church uh, in New York City and also um, the um, church planner, and uh, you've started a network of churches there in New York. And unfortunately, a lot of our guys may not be familiar with you. So as we jump in today, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and um, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, um, so honored to be here. Thanks so much, Ray, and so grateful for the work that you're doing and really grateful that I can also call you a new friend. And um, yeah, uh, so I'm a pastor here in New York City, and I've actually moved out here in 2001, right before 9-11, uh, to intern at a church called New Life Fellowship in Elmhurst, Queens. And I served as an intern and then kind of rose in the ranks at that church um, until I left in 2011. And, and then in 2012, my wife and I, we felt called to plant a church here in New York uh, called Hope Church NYC that would eventually become a family of churches here in the city. And out of that, we would also start a network called the New City Network uh, that's co-founded with a buddy of mine named Edwin Cologne. And the New City Network is really a network of urban churches that value urban, multi-ethnic, spirit, emotional health, and mission. So currently, I'm actually the uh, the lead pastor of Hope Midtown, which is part of the Hope family of churches. And Hope Midtown is right here in Midtown Manhattan. And so that's where we live, my wife, as well as our two kids, 10 and 6, David and Avery, and my wife's name is Tina. So that's a little bit of my background and where we are now and where we're situated. Well, that is so cool, man. I, I tell you, 
I got to know you, um, about you before we met. Um, you were speaking uh, at the uh, Discipleship Forum in Nashville back in November, uh, and that's where I got to hear you speak, and you were talking about the emotional health of the mm -hmm. disciple maker, and I tell you, man, that just triggered something with me. Um, I remember sitting there. I was up in the balcony uh, there at Brentwood Church in Nashville, and I was listening to your talk, and it just struck so many chords in me. Uh, this is my 31st year in ministry, and most of that uh, spent as a, as a senior pastor, and Drew, I'll tell you, man, in 2016, I hit a wall. Um, mm. I had been at uh, the church I pastored for about 13 years, and God had done some incredible things, and he was teaching me a lot. But, uh, you know, I had just hit one of those walls, and I remember coming to a place and saying, Lord, I, I, I'll do anything mm. uh, you want me to do. I'll go sell cars. I'll work in an auto parts store. I'll be a layman. But this pastor thing, this church leader thing, I just don't think I could do this anymore. Mm. And, and in that wall, man, something happened to me has never happened before. I had an anxiety attack. Wow. Um, I had heard about those. I had never experienced one of those, but man, I just, I just basically, uh, being honest, I, I came undone. I remember my, I called mm -hmm. my dad, my dad called uh, one of my deacons, a good friend of mine who was a doctor. He came to my house, uh, mm -hmm. to help me. I mean, I just could not control my emotions. I was just done. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was thinking when you were talking there in Nashville and you were talking about uh, emotional health and some of the things that we're dealing with as, as pastors and staff, a lot of times we talk about in our broadcast, we're talking about what we're doing in the church and different programs and different, uh, methods, but man, it's, it's the, it's the stuff we're dealing with inside that really nobody's mm -hmm. talking about. And so in your background, you talked about being there at that church where you kind of started as an intern. And I know uh, you were there with Pete Scazzaro uh, mm -hmm. and part of that when Pete was writing Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which is an incredible book uh, mm -hmm. that spoke to me on so many different levels. But let me ask you this question as we kind of dive in here. Mm -hmm. From your study and your experience, man, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus well? When we talk about emotionally healthy discipleship, and we're talking about the heart of the pastor or the heart of the leader. What does it mean to, to, to follow Jesus well? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. And um, to give you some background on how emotionally healthy discipleship has influenced my life and how it relates to that question that you're asking is I was part of like an immigrant church growing up. Uh, the church had massive amounts of conflict internally within that church. And so there was this disconnect between like, how does one live out faith? And yet people who are talking about following Jesus, and yet there's all this strident conflict that's happening within the church. Uh, moreover, my dad, uh, he himself was a minister and he was a minister who would go on to write books and his books would end up being bestsellers within for Korean Christians. And in many ways, he became a Korean Christian celebrity. So he was this extremely well-known uh, Christian figure within Korean circles. And uh, the only thing is, like when it came to his relationship with us, uh, I have three brothers, so four of us boys and my mom. Um, he had very strident, acrimonious relationships with all of us. It was very mm -hmm. violent at home. And mm -hmm. so um, his relationship with his boys then, like all of us, had a very hard time with Christian faith because here he was, this very public figure. Um, and we just could not match like who he was on stage. He was this incredibly charismatic person uh, who preached up a storm and was this uh, also well-read author. And yet at home, we experienced him as a very unloving, harsh man 
who, uh, who we often felt unloved by. Now, what's interesting is my dad, the topic that he would write about uh, of the books that he had written uh, was about how to raise a family. Hmm. So you can imagine that disconnect then between his public life, someone's public life and one's private life. And so um, I, I think when we talk about emotionally healthy discipleship, and, and so it's kind of in God's providence that I ended up, you know, having that experience um, going through my own crisis of faith that really came out of like, I, it doesn't make sense for followers of Jesus who claim to follow his teachings have such a disconnect between how they are in their private worlds, in their lives. And, uh, finally, but came to faith nonetheless, because I just believed in this Jesus fellow and who he was. And so I end up graduating from university, end up going off to become an intern at this church uh, which is in New York City, uh, New Life Fellowship, which you mentioned, Pete Scazzaro. And he was in the middle of writing this book called Emotionally Healthy uh, Church, which later became Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and then later Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And Pete himself had gone through his own journey. Pete was someone who had gone through a journey of uh, really getting the best of evangelical training, uh, gone to a, a very strong uh, orthodox teaching um, seminary up in Massachusetts called Gordon-Conwell, been trained at InterVarsity as an InterVarsity staff worker. And so like so much of his training and formation had come through uh, evangelical discipleship. And what he noticed, uh, but you know, then he goes on to plant a church. The church does incredibly well. It's building and growing, uh, but internally his marriage is really suffering. Um, and internally, the church is full of strife and conflict, and everyone sees the gleaming picture of like how great this church is, but inside, internally, he's a mess. And he goes on to share his own story about what led him to emotionally healthy spirituality. And so when we talk about emotionally healthy discipleship, um, you know, the main thesis is basically that it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. In other words, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable um, because if the great commandment is about loving God and loving others well, oftentimes what happens is we miss the great commandment and somehow there's, there's this American type of Christianity, I say American, but, but it's probably very Western, um, that tends to be very surface level. And we often use the image of an iceberg to kind of describe this. An iceberg, of course, 10% of an iceberg is seen above the surface. And one would see it and be like, wow, that's a big iceberg. But little do people know that 90% of an iceberg is actually below the surface. Yeah. And I think in a, a lot of, again, Western contexts, um, the way that we relate, and especially in today's social media saturated world, like so much of uh, life and even especially the temptation for a lot of pastors like myself is to present an image that 10% uh, that looks a certain way, mm. but little do people know the 90% and really what it means to follow Jesus. And when Jesus says, follow me, you know, leave everything and follow me. What he's basically saying is I want all of you, you know, discipleship is not a halfway kind of thing. It's everything. And if it's everything that it includes that 90%. Not just the 10% kind of behavior modification or practice this, start using this kind of language and maybe attend, have these exterior practices and nothing, and this is nothing against some of the spiritual disciplines that we've been taught growing up or anything like that. This is simply to say, will we allow God and Jesus to transform the 90%? 
the parts of us perhaps that we aren't used to allowing people to see um, when it comes to uh, some of the issues of our family of origin, some of the ways that we've been formed by our own woundedness and our own kind of uh, inability to handle difficult emotions that lead us into bad habits, destructive habits that only we know personally or only the people close to us know personally. Yeah. And so really what we're looking for when it comes to emotional healthy discipleship is this integration of allowing Jesus and the truth of the gospel to really be invited into every part of who we are, the public parts and the private parts, and that we would start to live lives of integrity. Um, integrity being like, you know, the word integer, a whole number comes from like, yeah. that's the same root for integrity, having a certain kind of wholeness where, you know, I'm not faking it. You know, I don't have like just this public persona that mismatches against who I am in private or who my family experienced me as. Uh, but instead there's this real wholeness and kind of out of that, uh, then my leadership, my life with Jesus, my life with God, uh, my life as a pastor, it, it instead, it, it flows out of an authentic place instead of out of um, this, uh, uh, this bifurcated, you know, um, dual lives kind of place, but instead it's one whole kind of life. So I think that's what we mean. Sorry, that was a long-winded kind oh, of answer no. to the know, question, man. but that, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly, you know, and, and I'm sitting here and, and, and I wish I could scribble, you know, I, I want to scribble, but I know if our viewers, they're going to see me looking down and all that, but I mean, I want to be scribbling notes, but man, you said something, you said it's impossible to become spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. And I'm telling you that when we talk about discipleship and so much of what I've learned over the last several years is discipleship is relational. Jesus did discipleship relationships. He spent time with his disciples and so many pastors, so many leaders, I would say, you know, so many, well, preachers and pastors don't have these relationships. And so everything's on the surface yep. and people don't know, and they don't know how to, I didn't know how to express that. I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to deal with what was below the surface. Cause nobody ever told me that, you know, and that was the stuff that was buried, you know? And so, man, it's just, I guess maybe that's why it resonated so so much when I was reading that book that we just don't have good discipleship has become so much about knowledge and information about the Bible mm -hmm. and that's Christian maturity. So we measure maturity based upon how much we know about the Bible. Yeah. Not about how, what we know about ourselves and what the yes. Bible is doing inside. And um, so, man, that is, that is just so, so rich. Um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was thinking about this interview and I heard you talk about it. You talked about, you know, that a lot of us are struggling with a definition of success. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of, 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 you know, most of us leaders, we're leaders because we have vision, you know, and we, we want to see things happen and, and we want to be a part of that. But at the same time, we put a lot of burden on ourselves, you know, yes. to, to produce. And man, COVID has certainly wreaked havoc um, on our churches and, and probably even more on our leaders one of the things that I've noticed that our pastors are struggling with is, is smaller numbers. I mean, yeah. you know, so many of our ministries were based upon Sunday morning attendance and how much money was given and how many people were saved. And, you know, it's all numbers based. And so COVID has, man, just threw that in a, in a loop. And so what I've seen is, you know, pro, pastors don't have the programs they used to have. They don't have the attendance they used to have. And a lot of guys, quite honestly, Drew, they just feel like they're failing right now. Yeah, sure, sure. So, so what do you see as probably the core problem of that? And what would you say to those guys that are struggling right now with just feeling like they're a failure? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, um, and I, I've obviously lived through that season. I mean, our church, uh, when COVID hit, New York City was the epicenter. Mm. Our church lost 50% of our people in terms of they moved away. And our giving was down 30 to 40%. Um, we had a violent break into this building that we had just, you know, invested in. So like, there were so many painful moments. And you know, what was interesting, and I, I think this actually describes probably what, um, again, Western spirituality can often look like. I, you know, I remember during, when COVID hit, I, you know, I, of course, everyone was bewildered as to what was happening. And one of the frequent mantras that I heard uh, was, this is our moment as the church to be the church, like in the early, in early Christianity that went into the towns during the plagues and served the people and things like that. And, um, and I got real fired up. And the reason why I was fired up by it is because, again, my heart is mission and growth and numbers and seeing something as an opportunity. And, um, and Pete Scazzaro, he was one of the few mentors that I talked to. Uh, and, and so part of me was like, yes, we can do this. Let's do it. And um, one friend calls it, there was the rally and then there was the valley, you know? <laughs> and um, and it was interesting because Pete was one of the few voices that instead he was telling me, Drew, now's the time for you to really double down on investigating what's happening in your own soul mm. and learning to grieve and to suffer with people and to instead of coming with a triumphant word of like what, whatever the triumph might look like, to instead come with... Uh, just grief and sadness and lamentation over this global wall, this mm -hmm. pandemic that we're facing. And, um, and then I was on a call with some pastors later on and uh, Tim Keller was actually sharing about his memory of 9-11 was that after when 9-11 happened, uh, the, he remembers someone spoke to him and said, um, just be careful of what happens three to five years from now. Uh, because when a crisis happens, all hands are on deck and then people end up getting worn out. And um, I remember Tim was just saying like, so even during this crisis, the real test of how we've been spiritually and emotionally mature um, or resilient will actually not show up in the first one or two years. It'll show up in years three to five. Wow. Yeah. And he was saying that because um, like, I think the evangelical world, we are so good at being active and missional. <laughs> and so much of it is on outward behavior and outside metrics. And we have learned that success is basically up and to the right. And I think because that measurement is there, I'm constantly measuring myself up against that standard, the standard of we need to be growing uh, and we need to be, you know, the budget needs to be booming and everything needs to be going well. And then my own soul gets predicated and my identity formation gets kind of tied into that. And so, so much of American Christianity is about up and to the right. It's about being success in many ways, metrics that follow the ways of the world. Now, this is not to say that every growing church is doing poorly. In fact, I want every church to, to, to do well. This is simply to say um, I mean, if you were to look even at scriptural examples, John the Baptist would have failed miserably, right? Like yeah. he drove away crowds. Uh, Abraham was just tasked with not building a great church, but just investing in the next generation, you know, like, and so I, I think there's all sorts of evidences and even Jesus, right? He, 
shoes away crowds and crowds start to scatter after he does this great miracle. He gives his hard teaching about his flesh and his blood and suffering and everyone's leaving. And he says to Peter, you know, do you want to go too? And Peter says, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And I, and I just think that success needs to be redefined in, um, you know, because now the measurement of success wasn't like how many people are showing up. It's how many people are, are like logging into your stream and liking your, you know, yeah. your post or whatever. And I think that cycle just ended up um, or ends up. And I know it did for me. Um, I often joke that like the reason why people's statistics, their, the pastor's stream statistics were up so high is because I was watching all of those other churches and comparing <laughs> myself, you know? Me too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I mean, and I think, you know, I, Pete has this definition, which I love about success in God's eyes. Success mm. is doing God's will in his way and in his timing. Mm. And what that means then is God is the definer of what is successful. I am not, nor is whatever publication or evangelical hierarchy or my denominational, like, you know, hierarchy. It, it's, it's doing God's will, God's way and in his timing. Yeah. And if I can just release the outcomes to him, if I can do in his revealed will, right? He talked, you know, just being faithful to him, uh, spending copious amounts of time in prayer and uh, allowing God into that part of my iceberg, right? And doing everything I can. And yet at the same time, resting in the promise of his goodness and his grace and his sovereignty. Like, even though we've lost 50% of our congregation, even though our budget is down 30%, like, is there a rootedness that I have of God? Um, I know that my performance is not, you know, like my worth is not predicated on my performance. And I know that these anxieties, uh, the messages that have come to me is I'm a loser the same way that my father told me I'd be a loser and all these things, all these voices again, that would haunt me. And even during this pandemic, I need to get to a place before God where all the outside noise, right? And this is where for emotionality discipleship, we talk about the contemplative tradition, one's prayer life, how one's prayer life is so important because I need to be able to kind of tune out the voices of American Christianity, American Western Christianity that keeps giving these markers of what success looks like. And being able to say, God, success is doing your will in your timing and in your doing way. and yeah. in your way. And, yeah. and yeah. if I can do that, which I know, what is his revealed will to love my family, to sacrifice for them and to care for them and to make sure that they are flourishing um, as best as I can uh, to love the people in front of me, whoever might be there. Right. Uh, to well, love I, I God. Love, and I love that, Drew. I mean, I want to interrupt yeah. you here, but to yeah. love the people in front of me, whoever they may be, you know, mm -hmm. at that moment, I, I think, I think that that's what I'm seeing so much. I was on the phone most of the morning calling pastors because we're trying to, you know, just connect with some guys and especially ones that we haven't heard of, heard from from a while. And, and I talked to several pastors this morning. One of the questions I was asking them, and, and it was, it was kind of interesting because I knew when I asked this question, what I was going to get. And we're kind of updating our records. And I'm like, you know, during, during 2020 uh, or 2021, you know, what was what was your average worship attendance? Mm. <laughs> and I would always predicate that. I said, well, you know, I know COVID. And man, and you can just hear the depression kind of yeah. come into the conversation like, man, it's been tough. You know, it's just been so hard. And I just hear this defeat. 
you know, but it's like, but I love that the people that are in front of you, and a lot of that is your family and those mm-hmm. close relationships and, and, and your friend. And I heard you say one time, you know, discipleship, it's, it's a long play game. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's long play, but it, it's an investing in those people that are right there. You said something earlier. I love, and I, I want our guys to go back and, and think through this again in their life. You know, we, we've, we, we've experienced this. You had the rally and now a lot of guys are in the Valley. You know, it, the, the charge was there. We were going to go, the COVID was going to give us the opportunities. Everything was going to change. We were going to come out. I remember we were having conversations about post COVID, you know, what are the opportunities this is going to bring for the church post COVID, man, I, those conversations are not existing, you know, right now. So, so, uh, so, so good. So, so let me ask you this. Um, we're talking about these pastors and I, I want to kind of get into this a little bit, cause I've heard you say something and I wrote it down when I was there in Nashville and I wrote it down the other day uh, when I was talking with you. And that is that, you know, as Christians, Jesus may be in our heart, but grandpa's in our bones. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we talk about that whole success idea and where the emotional health of where our leaders are right now, break that down for us. What, what do you mean by that? That Jesus may be in our heart, but grandpa's in our bones. And how does that, how does that play out uh, in the life of a disciple each and every day? Yeah, I think it plays out in this belief because when we become Christians, um, you know, there's this belief we're a new, behold, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Um, and when we talk about spiritual formation, what we think of ourselves as being like this clean lump of clay <laughs> who now God is going to mold and shape into whoever he wants it to be. But the reality is we've all been deeply formed as my buddy, uh, Rich Velotis often said, we've been deeply formed already, uh, when we come to faith and the things that have formed us, oftentimes it might be Fox news, CNN, uh, our trauma, our woundedness, um, our friendships. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in emotional healthy discipleship is you've been formed a certain way and it's now about being reformed into the image of Jesus. Hmm. And one of the ways that we've been most significantly formed is our family of origin. Yeah. And of course, in the scriptures and even in the Old Testament scriptures, it talks about this when it talks about, you know, the consequences of sins that are passed on from generation to generation. And you see these patterns exist. Um, and those patterns are basically each one of us. We've all inherited good stuff from the, our families of origin, but we've also inherited things that don't look like the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and Jesus. And we can just go down the list of the ways in which like when it comes to how I handle money and my anxiety towards money, does it look more like uh, someone who's part of the new family of Jesus? Or does it look more like the Hyun family, the immigrant family that was so worried about money and that would be tight fisted about it because we were so worried, yeah. right? Like now what we, when we say Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones, what we're saying is when it comes to the ways that we've been formed by the world, Oh man, grandpa's in your bones. Oh yeah. It's in my bones. And so the way that I go about resolving conflict, Hmm. the way that I go about dealing with my anger looks more like what I experienced in the Hyun family than it does like James chapter one and two, you know, about being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the way that I handle my anxiety um, looks more like the Hyun family um, in blaming other people 
and in running to addictive behaviors. It, it looks more like that than it does like Ephesians chapter four, speaking the truth in love and right. Um, grieving, not the Holy spirit. So like, so in all those ways, now we don't often think that, Oh, well, we need to talk about those issues because the new has come, you know, but it's like, no, 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 no. Don't you understand? We've all been shaped and formed. And the reality is I'm often blind to it. I'm often blind to kind of like when I got married to my wife. Right. And I was like, like, why are you washing the dishes that way? Right. Like, and for me, it's because I've been formed by one way of washing the dishes. She's been formed by the other way. And now it's just a matter of like, when we come into any kind of relationship with God, what we're basically saying is, God, help me to reform all of my patterns. Now, and now, again, this is not to say that, you know, every family is bad because all the good patterns, all the stuff that I got from my parents that are great, great. And that for my family of origin that are great, that are yeah. God honoring, I want to keep doing. But there are certainly habits like when it comes to my attitudes towards different cultures. I mean, just think about that. I came from a Korean American background. My parents' generation, war-torn, um, their parents were occupied by the Japanese. Yeah. And so you could imagine so much pain and anguish towards and animosity towards the Japanese as a result of that. Now, if, if like I can go into my life and I can talk as much as I want about Galatians and Ephesians <laughs> chapter two and, yeah. you know, um, having a love and kindness towards one's enemies like Jesus does. But I'll tell you what, like, the, you know, the lessons that I learned about how I should really be wary of Japanese people, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's embarrassing to share this, but it's at the same time, it goes at the root of like, wow, there's some deeply entrenched sinful patterns and beliefs in my background that would shape how I would treat an entire group of people that comes from my family of origin. Now that does not look like the way of Jesus. Now, again, we can go down the list of the different areas, you know, when it comes to money, when it comes to success, which we talked about, you know, when it comes to um, how we resolve conflict, um, uh, you know, when it comes to oh, attitudes well. towards different cultures and so many of these different ways. And so I'm constantly, even now, having to go back in order to go forward. I'm constantly having to go and investigate, like, how do, I mean, I was, you know, I was joking the other day, like my wife, my daughter, she's six years old. You know, she wanted me to read this fairy story with her, you know, and she, you know, she runs up to me, says, daddy, daddy, help read this story for me. And like my initial impulse was like, like, go ask your mom. Like, <laughs> don't, don't talk to me about this. And I was, I mean, in that moment, she comes up to me and I'm like, I'm, I don't like, young men do not do this stuff. Like we are emotionally unavailable, distant workaholics. Like, like, I mean, I didn't say that to myself, but in my mind, like there was everything in me had to just, to stop and take a deep breath and be like, yeah, let's, let's read this fairy story together, you know, yeah. and to be present with my daughter. Now, someone might look at that and be like, that's not disciple. Well, of course that's discipleship. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and it, where does, where do the, where do the tentacles of everything in me that did not want to do that? It was, you know, it was the way of the Hyun family, not the way of Jesus. And so I, th I think, 
I think all of that is what we talk about when we say, you know, uh, Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. Like we're, we're deeply formed by our families of origin and we need to go back to investigate some of those things in order to find a path path forward in being part of the new family of Jesus and living yeah. a new way. You know? That man, that is, that is so good. And that's, that, that's kind of what I, what I was thinking because you use that. We think, we think all that time, you know, I'm a new creation, mm-hmm. you know, the old is gone and the new has come, but yeah, that's true. I, I'm a new creation. I'm an heir to Christ you know, of, of Christ. You know, I, I'm adopted as, as a son of God. I, yes, that is true, but that doesn't erase everything that I've brought into who I am. And I yes. think a lot of us, I know the older I get, um, the more I recognize these, these things in me uh, of why I do what I do. And I'm still dealing with that with my wife. We've been married 30 years mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, I'm still having to come to grips with that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess when we talk about the public side and the personal side, maybe that's where we struggle. We're like, why am I doing this when I'm a Christian? Why am I doing this when I know the Bible says I need to do this? And it's not it's not taking inventory. It's not recognizing where this is coming from and and then beginning to work through that and deal with that. We just think, well, I became a Christian. That's gone. This is my new life. I'm moving on. And man, it just doesn't quite seem to work that way. Yeah. Um, So let me, let me ask you this. I wanted to, one thing I wanted to kind of circle back, you had mentioned earlier, and I, I wanted to ask you this because we talk a lot. I mean, I'm Baptist, Southern Baptist, Mm -hmm. and uh, we talk a lot about the great commission. Mm-hmm. And we talk about discipleship. We talk about healthy disciples. You know, I know there's the great commission and the great commandment. And when we talk about success, and that's where a lot of our guys are struggling right now, because we're not seeing the numbers. Um, you talk about spiritual maturity in regards to both the great commission and the great commandment. Why, why is that important? And what, what's the difference there? Yeah, I, you know, I think that our tradition is really great at the Great Commission, you know, missions, organizations, expansion, and, you know, frontier kind of work. I think that's embedded in our own family DNA as a movement, you know, as Christians, evangelical Christians in the West. And, and I think a lot of that stems from the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Mm -hmm. But we often can be pursuing the great commission without the great commandment Mm. and it's possible i mean it's possible to actually do ministry for god without god at times i mean we've we've been trained in practices and i mean that's where this disconnect exists right Mm. is you know and there's these examples even through scripture jesus would actually predict it he'd say that like people will say like did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do mirror? And he says, Be, depart from me. I never knew you. It, Jesus actually predicts that somehow we can actually do ministry for God without God. Hmm. And that's why the great commandment is so important. Um, and the great commandment, when it comes to the great commission, which is to go and make disciples, the great commandment is basically at the heart of that. It means the great commandment is what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple, yeah. And so oftentimes, and that's why when it comes to the metrics of success for, again, in the Western American Christian world, it's so much of it is predicated on baptisms. And I mean, I know that the, the things that people often measure are baptisms and how many people attended and then how much money is coming in. Mm-hmm. But you and I know that like, that's not, that's not all there is to shaping a disciple. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not trying to discount, all, you know, the measuring of any of those things. I'm simply saying like, 
do you like even if those are the only things that we're measuring then that's such a shallow way of looking at it and i and i think again our tradition is really great at the great commission uh mm-hmm. I, it's the great commandment that we often lose um and sometimes it's because we've fallen so deeply in love with the great com- commission that we've actually forgotten the great commandment yeah. uh to love god and to love others well and so so it's that's the, the yes, be before that, the do <laughs> yes to actually yeah. yep that's a great way of putting it to be and before I think, we I, do. and i think i i guess I, I come back to that because in this time of covid when so much of our success is built on numbers and people are struggling we forgot about the opportunity really here to invest in people and go back to what you said the people right in front of you starting with your family uh, those people in your close circle you know jesus we talk about it all the time jesus ministered to the crowds yes he did but Jesus really poured into those 12 and specifically into those three. And, you know, we ask guys all the time, who are your 12? Who are your three? You know, who are the people that are right there in front of you that are still there? Yes. Um, that you have an opportunity to love and to love well. That's success. Yes. And uh, not saying that we're, we're scrapping the great commission. You know, we are doing that, but discipleship begins in those, in those intimate relationships. And, yeah. um, I just, that's what I, I just want to encourage our guys. I, I think about that all the time is we're just thinking so much about the big picture right now that we're missing, you know, we're missing the forest for the trees, you know, yes. missing the trees with forest. You know, we're just, it's right there in front of us. Opportunities, love our wives, love our children, mm-hmm. disciple them, pour into them, pour into those people that are still there um, and uh, love them. Um, love God and, and love those people. So let me ask you this. I know we got to wrap up here. Um, so getting practical. So we've talked about a few different things. We've talked about the emotional health, really, of, of the disciple maker. And we know we have issues that, that we need to deal with. And some of those have been brought out through, through COVID and some of the things that we're dealing with in our culture. Um, so let, let me ask you this, from your experience and what you've been seeing. So what, what are some practical steps um, for guys that are watching today um, to do to help us begin to focus because I know we we have me included we 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 have a tendency to neglect our own emotional health Mm, okay yes so what are some practical steps to help us begin to focus on our emotional health so we can finish well we say all the time and and our and our team we want to help our leaders finish well but we know Mm -hmm. and I've been reminded through you this emotional side is very important so Practical steps. Give us some things that the guys can can begin to look at and think about. Yeah, you know, and first, just to comment further on what you just said, like, um, I, I mean, as a pastor, my because the outer life is just such a natural like tendency, like at the neglect of my own soul. I mean, I'm the type of person who will run to help someone else while I'm hurting myself, and. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, that statement when you're on a plane, like make sure you put your own mask on before you put on someone else's. Wow. And otherwise I'm no good. You know, one of the things that we say in emotionally healthy discipleship is as goes the leader, so goes the church. Mm -hmm. And so your health and my health is paramount to the future of our church Mm -hmm. and churches. And so making sure that we're in that space. And so I would, um, I mean, I would, in terms of practical like application, I would recommend help us put the mask on. So what, yeah, yeah. What, I what would are say, some things we can do to put the mask on? Yeah. Um, I think one um, easy tool that um, is available is at emotionallyhealthy.org. There's actually an inventory that you can take uh, related to your own emotional health and spiritual maturity that you can do. And um 
and you can get a sense of where you are right now. And, it, you know, you can take it um, just for your own well-being and inventory. It's kind of like doing a Psalm 139 check-in, right? Mm -hmm. Search me and know me, God, to really get to the heart of like, how am I really doing? Uh, again, because so much of uh, what we do is focused on the outer, we really do need to take inventory. Um, and I think number two is to slow down enough to be with God before doing anything, you know? Yeah. And so hey, let, let me ask you this, Drew. Hey, hate to interrupt you, but um, so emotionallyhealthy.org, we'll put a link to that um, in the interview here on the, on the chat. Mm -hmm. But I heard you talk about this the other day. And one of the things you said is, yes, I think it's something that we ought to take, but it may be something you may ought to give to your wife or give to somebody close to you, maybe accountability partner and say, Hey, will you take this for me? Yeah. What are some things? Because I know me, man. And I can sit there and I can say, well, I know this is what I'm supposed to say or what I think, you know, but maybe there's some other people that may be able to help us to see things in ourselves. I heard, I heard Jim Putman talk the other day. I've been reading Revolutionary Disciple. And, um, and one of the things that, that he said in there that just really uh, lit me up, and I mean, I just recognized how much I've missed this over the years, is that in John 15, you know, we are called to abide in Christ, mm -hmm. but we don't abide in Christ in isolation. Mm. And I think, man, we have taken our spirit. We, we think the spiritual life just between me and Jesus Yep. You know, and that all, that's all that matters, but God has put other people in my life to yeah. help me abide in Christ. Mm -hmm. And we do that through, again, I go back to relationships, but maybe this is an opportunity to say, Hey, are there two or three guys in my life that I'm meeting with that are in a D group with me or disciple group, or, or maybe even my wife or, you know, somebody else close that, that I would say, Hey, will you take this, um, well, you look at this, what are you seeing right now in me? Are, I mean, are, are you serious enough yeah. um, to put it out there for somebody else? I mean, is that something you think would be helpful or? I, I, I think it is as long as the relationship is in a, a lot of goodwill. <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why I was asking the question. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, and that's one of the things like actually Pete and Jerry Scazzaro, his, Jerry's his wife, he's, uh, they often like say we won't meet with a pastor alone we want the spouse to be there because then we'll get the truth yeah you know <laughs> and so yeah so that's where it is really helpful to have someone else uh you know um just kind of fill out that inventory as well um talk about it yeah okay, and you so, talked about slowing down yeah slow it down uh and i think you know one practice that's been really formational for me uh is sabbath keeping you know taking a 24 hour sabbath to stop rest, delight, and contemplate. And that's part of that inventory taking process. And that's why we say that, you know, the contemplative life and emotional health go together because I need to slow down my life to be able to, like, I realized in my staff meeting this morning, like I kind of reacted pretty strongly when someone made a statement about changing the time for our staff meetings. I just, you know, I, and I need to take the time to reflect on that. Like, why did I react that way? And was it something that I need to make amends for? Was it, was, I don't think I need to make amends because I don't know if the person even experienced it. I just know what happened in my soul. Yeah. And was it because what that person said made me feel disrespected? And why, why, why did I feel that way? All the person 
suggested was moving the, the time the times to monday you know mm. and like i need to do that soul work now i need to journal i need to reflect i need to just slow down enough to have the time to be like what was happening and then of course i submit that to the lord and after i've submitted that to the lord is it something where now i have to check in with that person and just say like hey i'm curious when you said this what did you mean you know and now i have to bring it up in a kind way if it's if it reaches that point you know but like all of that internal work yeah. takes time but again, like I, instead of taking time, intentional time to um, to be with God, I think we take a lot of time instead to um, to be active. And yeah. uh, Eugene Peterson, he once said, "You're busy because you're lazy." In his book, The Contemplative Pastor, and I always wonder, what do you mean? Yeah. Why would he say that you're busy because you're lazy? Um, and he said, "You're busy because you're lazy in that you're not taking the time to prioritize what's really important." Oh, you know? I just hated that, Drew. Yeah, that. that is that is so true. You're busy because you're lazy and, and it, it's work, you know, to yeah. sit there and deal with those things and let God really begin to chisel away. Yeah. Teach us. Yeah. One other thing you mentioned, you've talked about the practice of the daily office. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of part of Sabbath a little bit, but yeah. it's not just the one time. of. So what is the practice of the daily office and how how could that help us um, emotionally? Yeah, so the daily office, office, these were basically practices that actually come from Judaism. Mm -hmm. um, like you see Daniel, for instance, pausing throughout the day. And the psalmist writes about, you know, uh, five times a day, I pray to you. And then you see these different early Christian traditions where people would actually, their office or their work, their main work was to pray. And so a daily office is this practice where one pauses throughout the day in prayer and in scripture. Uh, to take that inventory before God, as well as use that time for intercession. And so I grew up in the tradition of quiet times. And it was basically like, you do your quiet times, you get filled up in the morning for 30 minutes. And if you're really good, maybe an hour and you're like superstar, if you're above that, you're good then, to go all day. Exactly. But then by, you know, by nine o'clock, I'm on the subway here in New York, and I'm kind of agitated. That's so crowded you know, then I get into work and someone else is late for a meeting and then I'm even more mad. And then, you know, I haven't even, I, I, like by that time, I've already forgotten anything I prayed and anything I worked for, <laughs> you know, and then by 12 o'clock noon, like I'm so frustrated. I'm not even a Christian anymore. You know, <laughs> like that's you're, how you're striking a chord, Drew. I mean, you're striking a chord with us. <laughs> yeah. And so the daily yeah. office is basically this discipline where throughout the day, I'm pausing to be with God, to take an inventory um, to pray, to be centered, to take times of silence. And I need those times to really center myself. So that's where the practice of daily office is kind of like taking mini Sabbaths throughout the day um, so that I can commune with God. That is so good. Drew, man, thank you so much. Yeah. Hanging out with us a little bit today. I know that there's going to be a lot of uh, discussion that's going to come out of this. And I just want to encourage you, if you're watching this today, if you're on our Facebook Live, you know, share this with somebody. I know that all of us know uh, guys and, and uh, people, guys and gals that, that we're doing ministry with that would love to hear this right now. That would be very helpful. Drew, what are, is there any way that you'd like to share that anybody can get a hold of you? Um, uh, yeah, like I, I would. I mean, I would definitely say the Emotionally Healthy website. Uh, okay. You could also healthy.org. We'll drop emotionally healthy.org. Uh, the church that I'm part of is hope midtown.org. Um, I'm not on social media as well. I have social media as well. Um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, be great right. to hear. And you can contact me um, through those websites or, or social. 
Thank you, Drew. And I look forward to having more conversations. I mean, I, I told Scott, we can come back and do this as a series because there's a lot of stuff yeah. that we can talk about when we talk about the emotional health uh, of the pastor. But thank you for what you meant to me, how you've helped me. And, um, and uh, I know how beneficial this is going to be to our guys today. So make sure you leave in the chat, folks, that uh, where you're watching from today. And if we can help you in any way, uh, please let us know. So thankful that you are giving to the cooperative program. Uh, that's one of the ways we get to do what we do and get to do this and present this stuff to you. So God bless you. As we always say, we're here for you. We want you to be successful and effective as disciple makers. And as we've talked about today, what we really want to say is we want you to finish well. So God bless you. Uh, let us know how we can help you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple-makers.